0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Year Round with Yancey, a podcast that explores the lesser-known writings of legendary Christian author Philip Yancey, one chapter at a time. I am your host. I call myself the Yancey Yokel, not to be silly. I go by that name when hosting to emphasize the simple nature of the podcast content. In other words, it's not meant to be academic or scholarly, so I don't go by a Yancey scholar or Yancey professor or anything like that. The typical format for the podcast is to consider multiple books at a time but only one per episode, which means at any given time we'll be looking at two of Yancey's titles in an every other week alternating format, which will keep us from covering the same book consecutive back-to-back episodes. The books we're currently looking at are I Was Just Wondering Yancey's book from 1989 and the small book from 1998 Church, Why Bother? My Personal Pilgrimage This is a Book that contains only three chapters. And so we'll be getting through this in uh, three episodes, I suppose. The first chapter is quite lengthy compared to most chapters we'll look at during this podcast. But I wanted to tackle it in one episode instead of breaking it up. The chapter, chapter one, is called Why Bother? church. Of course, that's the main title of the book, basically. And this chapter begins on page 17 and ends on page 41. So quite a lengthy chapter, especially considering the whole book is only 100 pages. I would like to provide just a brief overview of how the chapter flows. We get a little bit of talk about Yancey's past experiences with the church Uh, from when he was young, which if you've heard him talk about this or write about it, you know it wasn't a positive experience at all. So we get some of that for a page or two. Then we uh, eventually get to uh, Yancey's uh, wrestling with uh, his returning to, to, to God, period. But he doesn't dwell on that hardly at all because he Quickly shifts to what it took to get him re-interested in church. And we get quite a few pages in which he explores four aspects that were important in his rediscovering the church and his rediscovering a, a love for the church. So much of his experiences in Chicago with one particular church uh, provided him with this newly formed, one would one could say, biblical view of the church was, which was certainly not a part of his uh, youth. The first three pages of the chapter focus on what I would call the negative aspects of Yancey's childhood church experience, which was uh, in Georgia. Can't recall the exact but he does mention Georgia. He describes the church as a hellfire and brimstone church. Quote, We saw ourselves as a huddled minority in a world fraught with danger. Any slight misstep might lead us away from safety toward the raging fires of hell. End quote. So there is that spirit in the church. He says his church, quote, Frowned on such activities as roller skating too much like dancing, bowling, some alleys serve liquor, going to movies, and reading the Sunday newspaper. The church erected this thick wall of external rules to protect us from the sinful world outside, end quote. And then Yancey mentions some racism, which uh, at other times he's spoken about this, he's provided more details, but here he simply puts it this way, quote, Uh, Some of their rules were wholly arbitrary and some were flat out wrong. In the Deep South, racism was an integral part of the church subculture. I regularly heard from the pulpit that blacks, and that was not the word we used for them, were subhuman, ineducable, and cursed by God to be a, quote, servant race, end quote. And that concludes the portion where he describes his church upbringing. He then uh, makes a statement in the, next, the first paragraph of the next section, which he calls Circling the Buttresses. That's the name of the section. And he makes this statement that Christianity kept him from Christ. And he states in many words, that this was due in large part to the church's focus on externals, what he refers to as externals. His struggle could be summed up with a question why bother with church? He does describe his journey of, of return to faith, but he asks is church really necessary for a believing Christian? And he goes on to describe the one, two hurdles that were standing in the way when it came to his returning to this corporate aspect of Christianity. He says, first it was hypocrisy. He does provide a few quotes from thoughtful people. Uh, Some friends of the church, some foes, I suppose. Frederick Nietzsche is, is quoted here. Uh, As saying, I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. So that's in reference to this hypocrisy Yancey's referring to. I love this question he uh, offers right before he transitions to hurdle number two. This is in reference to families, our uh, families of origin. We do not give up, he says, on the institution of family because of its imperfections. Why give up on the church? It's a good question. The second hurdle, he says, was cultural in nature. And then he starts talking about the, the structure of the church and how, at least for him, it was a hurdle. He says he enjoyed small groups where people talked about their lives, quote, discussed matters of faith and prayed together. Continuing the quote, a formal church service, though, with its unvarying routine, its repetitiveness, its crowds and bulletins and announcements, its conventions of standing up and sitting down annoyed me. He says, the longer you stay away from church, the stranger it seems. End quote. He says he was helped by reading thoughtful Christians like C.S. Lewis and Annie Dillard. There's a quote from her here I may not read right now. But uh, obviously, if you've read much of Yancey, you know he's so well read. And he quite frequently mentions the writings of people who have helped him along the way. In this case, it was Lewis and Dillard. And on the next page, he asked this question, what changed my attitude toward church? I want to read this quote. It says, I sense something else at work. Church has filled in me a need that could not be met in any other way. St. John of the Cross wrote, quote, the virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter end quote. I believe he's right. I'll say end quote again. And then he begins an extended portion uh, that uh, I believe is setting up the the heart or the crux of this chapter. And he talks about community. He says, and I love this quote, at a deep level, I sense that church contains something I desperately need, end quote. And I, I love the way he phrased that. He It's not something, what I hear him saying is, it's not something anyone could prove. It's not something tangible. It's just this sense that people have. Uh, I believe it probably uh, comes to you when you're, maybe you've experienced it, but for a time you're without it. And of course you miss it. You feel like something's not right. About this, And I want to read a few lines from the next few paragraphs that introduce, again, the heart slash crux of this chapter. Just a few sentences, starting with this one. I would respond. He would, he says, I would respond by saying that over the years I have learned what to look for in a church, and this is this is going to be the start of what uh, gets dangerously close. Uh, to Yancey proposing what some would, would call church shopping. You know, the idea of visiting a smorgasbord of congregations looking for the one that, that's just perfect for you. And all I can say is, once you hear what Yancey is is, is getting at, and, and if, if you want to use the, the phrase church shopping, fine, but if, if you go about it in the right way, in the way that I believe uh, Yancey is suggesting, something that helped him, and that's all he's trying to get at in the remaining, uh, uh, the rest of the chapter, is, is just explaining to, to his readers what has helped him, what, what he looked for in a church. And we can take it or leave it. Obviously, it's easy to, to take much of this, at least for me, because I found it so helpful. But he's basically letting us learn from an approach that seemed to work for him as he sought to fall in love again with the church. And it all all has to do with a way of seeing, he says. And here is the key sentence uh, or two that set up basically the rest of the chapter. He says, quote, When I go to church, I have learned to look up, look around, look outward, and look inward. He says, This new way of seeing has helped me to stop merely tolerating the church and instead learn to love it. So let me repeat those four aspects. Looking up, looking around, looking outward, and looking inward. So there are basically five sections left in the chapter. And four of those five go from one aspect that he mentions, the way of looking, uh, to another. And then there's a kind of a concluding section in the in the chapter. So that's what's what's coming up. We're gonna l- listen to him explain what looking up means, what looking around means, looking outward means, and looking inward. And then I, I should say, the last sentence before the looking up section is is worth quoting, because as I mentioned. I, I got this sense that Yancey was going to encourage us to do, you know, uh, church church shopping, but, but do it in a better way. <laughs> and yet I should have known better that that's not, that wouldn't be Yancey's approach. But I love the way he talks about another side of the coin. Uh, also related to these, the, the, these four ways of viewing the church. Um, he says, Once we have a vision of the church as participants, we can help it become the kind of place God intended. End quote. And I, I love that I, I kinda wish he had done more with that at the end of the chapter, after he went through this these these four approaches to viewing the church. But I, 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 I at the same time I can see why he 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 places that here because it's a little off point, but not Totally. Because really if you if you get behind these four ways of viewing church uh, in all the right ways, the godly biblical ways, then it, it's not only going to help you as you look for a church, it's gonna help you if you're in a church now and you look around, you see some of this isn't quite what it ought to be. Maybe we can help bring that about in in this church where we're you know already plugged in. Um, So I I thought that was a great uh, last line before the looking up section. Looking up uh, takes about three pages worth of content here. A lot of good stuff here. Let's learn what Yancey means by looking up. He says, I used to approach church with the spirit of a discriminating consumer. I viewed the worship service as a performance. Give me something I like entertain me, end quote. And so that's something he's, uh, a, a, a paragraph, a very short par- paragraph he's, he's using to uh, set up what the alternative to that approach might be. And uh, along with that, he uses a, uh, some content from Soren Kierkegaard, it's a paraphrase of a statement or two from Kierkegaard's Purity of Heart a book. And this is Yancey's paraphrase of Kierkegaard. He said, Kierkegaard said that we tend to think of church as a kind of theater. We sit in the audience attentively watching the actor on stage. And then he goes on to say, I, I believe this is still in reference to Kierkegaard, Quote, church, though, should be the opposite of the theater. In church, God is the audience for our worship. Far from playing the role of the leading actor, the minister should function as something like a prompter, the inconspicuous helper who sits beside the stage and prompts by whispering. End quote. And I do believe that that is uh, still some Kierkegaard content there because I... I recall the whispering part being uh, part of Kierkegaard's work. So the the point, according to him, is God is it, God should be uh, in, in part because he is, <laughs> whether we realize he is the audience or not, he should be uh, the the one and only audience. So that's the end of the Kierkegaard dialogue. Uh, a quote from the next paragraph reads as follows, we should leave a worship service asking ourselves not what did I get out of it, but rather was God pleased with what happened, end quote. And here's the looking up reference, uh, the first one I believe in the section. He says, now I try to look up in a worship service to direct my gaze beyond the platform toward God. He does mention how some churches have attempted to do this. Uh, Some churches, uh, instead of using professional people, uh, or at least exclusively in the pulpit or leading worship, they tend to use more lay people in worship. And since they're not as polished and not as professional, that tends to lend itself to less focus on them and more focus, I suppose, on God. Uh, by default. In the next paragraph, Yancey makes a statement that I believe uh, sums up uh, the main point of looking up. He says, church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendships, but to worship God. If it fails in that, it fails. End quote. We have the first allusion to scripture in the chapter, uh, as uh, Yancey makes the point of, you know, if you spend any time in the Old Testament, you'll quickly realize that the focus of worship uh, should be on God, uh, especially as you encounter descriptions of how worship should be practiced and set up. Uh, For example, the tabernacle and temple content alone would, according to Yancey, uh, take up as much space in our Bibles as the entire New Testament devotes to the life of Christ. So uh, that's fairly telling when it comes to the emphasis being on what pleases God, which Yancey s- states again is the point. Worship. Two of the last three paragraphs in this section uh, talk about what I would call high church, more liturgical approaches to worship, and he mentions uh, that uh, in in some of these, many of these settings, that the the priest or the 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 person delivering a homily are. are, uh, very few of them are very polished or professional in their approach. They, uh, he said, few would score well quote in a preaching contest. But it he does make the point that it doesn't seem to be a big deal at the same time because simply because it's not something that they emphasize. Uh, because they, there's a there's a much greater emphasis on this. Uh, God as audience, worshiping him as the sole focus, there's so much of that focus that there's less, there's just just going to be less on how competent the priest is at public speaking. He also makes reference to some faith groups like the Russian Orthodox uh, Church, that there might be large chunks of the service that aren't even in a language that many of the participants can understand. But again, it's okay because the point is worship devoted and directed to God. He talks about choirs, chanting, uh, and perhaps that's not the most conducive form of entertainment, but again, that's not the point. When you're looking up, the point is all about keeping our eyes on God. So, in case I skipped it earlier, this this first aspect, this looking up aspect is what Yancey is saying, this is what he's he's learned to look for in a church. And so it would all start with this looking up aspect. Does the this church in their worship? And maybe you could add everything they do. Is it focused on God? Can you tell that he is the audience and everything being done is being done to please him? Point two is, that was looking up. Now we get, now we come to looking around. And it's in this section and this is fairly consistent for the rest of the chapter. He does a lot of reminiscing about his time in Chicago. At the time he wrote this book, Church Why Bother, I believe he was already in Colorado, but of course he lived for a while in Chicago, worshiped at a church called LaSalle Street Church. And this is the sections that a a lot of references are made (laughs) to LaSalle Street, so be prepared for that. He begins this section with this line, Early in my pilgrimage back to the word church, I made the mistake of intentionally seeking out churches composed of people like me. And then he says, in an odd way, he was repeating, quote, the mistake of his childhood church, which tried to stamp out any sign of diversity, end quote. And so this is what Yancey's meaning by looking around, looking around at the people who are a part of this church family, whatever church family it is. The next five paragraphs describe Yancey's Chicago church experience. Like I said, it is the LaSalle Street Church in downtown Chicago. And he states that this was such a diverse church with many Members who he says uh, he describes as decidedly not like me. Because of the mix of people, he began to look forward to church rather than dreading church. And he goes on to talk about the wide diversity in the church, uh, just about any economic bracket you can think of, racial lines. Gender, of course, age, it it was all here in microcosm form at LaSalle. He says half the seniors there were African-American, half were white. Uh, It wasn't uncommon on cold mornings, especially for homeless people to be a part of the service and maybe sleeping right through it on a pew. Uh, Some were graduate students in Ph.D. programs. Some were doctors, lawyers. And then I love this quote. He says, And I began to look forward to church as a place that surrounded me with people different from me. On the surface, we had little in common. Our commitment to Jesus Christ, however, gave us much in common. And I love that line for so many reasons. And he does talk about uh, how the, uh, the early church, with its Jew. Jew and Gentile, you know, very diverse groups trying to come together and worship side by side. How, when you have those distinctions, you have men, women, slaves, and free, and all of that. With, with all the differences, it might be easier to focus on the one common thread that holds this motley group Together and of course that thread is Jesus Christ. How wonderful that is, and how easy it might be to actually forget about that when the diversity is not there. You might start thinking, oh, it's it's our it's our whiteness that holds us together. It's our economic status that holds us together. It's our white collar status, our age, whatever. But when you're different, when you're so different as a group, it's kind of hard to find a thread other than Christ. And so Yancey makes that point loudly and clearly towards the end of this section about looking around. There's a good Ephesians reference, which uh, I think is perfect in this chapter for describing this uh, unity in our diversity. And one of the lines from this book that's uh, almost bumper sticker like, I remember the first time I read this book, and it was within a year, I think, of its original publication. This was one of the most convicting lines for me at the time. This is Yancey speaking. He says, I deliberately seek a congregation composed of people not like me, end quote. You know, whether people reading that and uh, people who are convicted by that, whether they go to that extreme uh, or not, I, I'd like to think it could certainly convict us when it comes to looking instead for churches filled with people mostly like us. And I think, don't we do that so often without even thinking? There's no ill will involved or intentionality. It's just, it just comes easy, doesn't it? Obviously what Yancey's describing does not come easy, but it's certainly a much more of a blessing in the long run, according to Yancey, so that we've looked at uh, looking up, looking around, now we come to looking outward. The first line here is a partial quote from Archbishop William Temple. It reads as follows, the church, said Archbishop William Temple, is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of of its non-members, end quote. And he goes on to talk about some of the things he saw and witnessed and partook in, I guess, at LaSalle Street Church. He uh, learned, he says, that the mission, quote, of the church extends to the needs of its own neighborhood, end quote. He talks for a page and a half seemingly about some of the programs that uh, were community oriented at LaSalle. He mentioned some Sunday school teachers who offered tutoring classes after the Sunday service. And these were, uh, uh, this was a, a need evidently because these Sunday school teachers were seeing, were noticing that some of their the kids in their classes couldn't even read. So uh, they offered reading tutoring, uh, which was great definitely helped the community. To counter neighborhood abuse by the police and by landlords, an attorney, presumably from the church, quit his firm to begin a a legal aid clinic. There's talk about a counseling center that was established uh, to again bless people in the community. There's an outreach focused on single moms. This was all through LaSalle. The last outreach, I believe mentioned here, uh, was one uh, at at LaSalle involving seniors uh, because people noticed, first of all, some of the financial struggles of these uh, seniors, but they went beyond that to provide some uh, fun, entertainment, uh, fellowship that uh, also resulted in winning that involved food, which, uh, according to Yancey, was a way to help feed these lower income seniors and do so in a way that left their dignity intact, which I thought was uh, quite meaningful to, to learn about. Here's the point of this section, seemingly. He says he learned, quote, through, he says he learned how much good can be accomplished by a congregation of ordinary people who band together to minister to the needs around them. And he goes on to say, when I look for a church, quote, I look for one that understands the need to look outward. Indeed, I have come to believe that outreach may be the most important factor in a church's success or failure, end quote. Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, some of us may be a part of a church and maybe the worship isn't what you think it ought to be, it's not focused as upward as you might like, but you might not have much control over that and maybe the church you're a part of isn't as diverse as you might like it to be, but it might be hard to do much about that. Uh at least not overnight or anything. But I was I was convicted with with this section. Uh, this looking outward thing, I thought you know how how easy it would be uh, for for pretty much anyone to maybe get a few friends together, maybe with the blessing of uh, the church leaders, of course, you know, start some kind of outreach program and 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 and, and hopefully uh, with with time it would grow and and you know this is uh, w- one of the the potential benefits of a chapter like this is, you know, maybe you're not in church shopping mode, but maybe you're just ready to to, to work towards changing the church you're a part of. Maybe a church that's not that outward seeking or focused, and maybe you can uh, contribute to that. So I really appreciate that outward focus. That brings us to the last looking direction that's looking inward and this seems to be the word I think that sums up most of this is the word grace. Uh, Yancey puts it this way grace I concluded was the factor most glaringly absent from my childhood church. He says now when I attend church quote I look inward and ask God to purge from me the poisons of rivalry and criticism, and to fill me with grace. And I seek out churches characterized by a state of grace. And then almost the next three chapters I'm sorry, three pages of this chapter focus on one extended example of grace that Yancey observed uh, during his time at La Salle. It involved a young black man named Adolphus. And evidently he had spent some time in Vietnam. Uh, he couldn't hold a job. He battled uh, fits of rage and craziness, at some uh, which sometimes landed him in an asylum. Uh, he, especially when not on his medication, would... You know, do things like hurdle pews on his way to the front during a service. He would make obscene gestures during the service. He would say inappropriate things during public prayer time. He'd been kicked out of several other churches. And you know, any church could probably have found an easy way to prevent someone like this from coming back you know blackballing someone like this so to speak but this church evidently did something quite the opposite and there are several examples of grace mentioned here I think uh, I totaled six I'd like to run through those real quick Uh, the, the first example a group of people in the church including a doctor and a psychiatrist took on Adolphus as a special project. Every time he had an outburst, they pulled him aside and talked it through, using the word inappropriate a lot. And so these were some people who were patiently and yet consistently reminding Adolphus of what was appropriate and what wasn't, because maybe a part of this was nobody had really told him that. Nobody had really coached him in a loving way before. Another example is when, when some members found out that Adolphus was having to walk five miles to church because he couldn't afford bus fare. Uh, members were, uh, would offer uh, him rides to church. A third aspect invited uh, involved people inviting him over for meals. A fourth aspect uh, involved Christmases uh, in which uh, Adolphus would spend uh, with the assistant pastor's family. Isn't that wonderful? Adolphus evidently envisioned himself as a musician of some sort and wanted to participate with the up-front worship group. Uh, But when he tried, it was a train wreck evidently but instead of just saying no they reached a compromise. Uh, The leader of of the group uh, said Adolphus you could stay up here with us and you can have your guitar and actually play it it sounds like but it has to remain unplugged (laughs) so uh, that means nobody could hear it Uh, and yet it seemed to be something he appreciated doing. And one more example worth mentioning, when Adolphus asked to join the church and when the elders in response asked him about some of his beliefs, they uh, didn't feel like he was ready, but instead of saying no, they just said, hey, let's let's view this as a, as a probation of some sort and, and, and come back to it. Uh, Later on, Yancey does say there's a happy ending to this because uh, he calmed down. He, quote, started calling people in the church when he felt the craziness coming on. He even got married. And on the third try, Adolphus was finally accepted for church membership. And uh, Yancey just makes the point that uh, in Adolphus's life. No one had ever invested nearly that much in him, and how really at the end of the day, all the church did was just chose not to give up on him. It gave him second chances, third, fourth, etc., etc., and I love this quote, Christians who had experienced God's grace transferred it to Adolphus, and that stubborn, unquenchable grace gave me an indelible picture what God puts up with by choosing to love the likes of me. He says, now I look for churches that exude this kind of grace. So that's the inward focus. It's all about grace, according to Yancey. The last section of the chapter is called A New Sign on the Beach, and it runs for about three pages. I would describe it as an extended description of a thirteen-person baptismal ceremony that took place in Lake Michigan. This was also a part of LaSalle, LaSalle's ministry, and so Yancey's describing, in typical Yancey fashion, uh, this this baptismal ceremony and the people—not only the people who were getting baptized, but people who were there for it. And he reiterates some aspects of the church he already mentioned earlier about the diversity and things like that. And and being in this public place, being on the shores of Lake Michigan with uh, people passing by, maybe giving confused looks, maybe giving not very nice looks, Yancey makes this statement. He says, that small scene at the beach, quote, worked out before a curious crowd became for me a symbol of the alternative society that Jesus inaugurated on earth so long ago. The chapter ends with a quote from Karl Barth, and then one more reflection on this beach baptismal scene. Uh, Let me read the quote from Barth. Uh, The church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. And here are Yancey's words to conclude the chapter. He says, The church I have learned can indeed be a new sign, radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and contradicted in a way which is full of promise. For this reason, church is worth the bother end quote. And that ends the chapter. What a wonderful setup, chapter one of this three chapter book. Uh, we have a lot of great content to look forward to. I believe my favorite section of this small book is the middle section, chapter two. So I'm looking forward to it myself. But this is a, uh, a wonderful way to at least start answering the question, you know, why is it worth, uh, you know, caring about the church, being a part of a church, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think, I think what Yancey is also hitting on, whether he talks about it or not, is what was God originally in, envisioning for the church? You know, I think uh, he hit on some things that just from reading Scripture, you kind of get the sense that this is kind of getting uh, close to the heart of what God envisioned uh, that the church would be, or just his people in general would be, and uh, it all involves this upward looking, and then looking around, and then looking uh, outward, of course, boy, that's a big theme in scripture, isn't it? Looking outward, going all the way back uh, to the Old Testament for sure, and then uh, looking inward, that, that grace component, isn't that just And it just feel like that's something God would would have intended for his church. And how it takes people like Yancey and me and maybe some of you too. Just quite a long time sometimes uh, to figure that out. And to actually uh, catch up with God in that regard. I want to thank you for listening. As always, if you appreciate this podcast... And you would like to support it in any way, shape, or form. I would like to encourage you to support a very worthwhile cause. I have no ties with this group. I'll benefit uh, in no way from your support of Books for Africa. But I want to keep, keep bringing them to your attention. A wonderful group that uh, has, since 1988, been trying to their best to end the book famine in Africa. Wonderful group. You can find out all sorts of info about them online at booksforafrica.org. And if you like what you read, consider making a donation. Every little bit helps. If you do, I would really love to know about it. You know, I won't tell anybody. I'll keep your secret, but I'd love to know That someone listening to this podcast was turned on to BFA and made a donation. That'll just be the encouragement I need to continue with this. You can email me at yearroundwithyancey at gmail.com. You can use that email to make comments, ask questions. I really appreciate all of the above. And please consider purchasing your own copy of Yancey's book, Church, Why Bother? It's still readily available out there. Uh, Just a wonderful, quick but, but a read, but one you'll be thinking about for years and years after. Thank you so much. God bless.